new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. It is a Thursday, May the 25th. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, back with you alongside Tuscaloosa Bureau Chief for BOL, Charlie Potter. Charlie, (laughs) you got big plans for this uh, Memorial Day weekend we have here in our midst? I do. I almost don't want to tell you, but... um... The wife and I are going to head down to your favorite Orlando. And, no, uh, no, no, no way. Yeah, no no way. Charlie in See, Orlando? Tried to, oh. to to save the judgment. But, um, yeah, we're, we're going down to Disney. I'm going to get drunk at Epcot. Now, well, see, now you got me, though. See, if you're going to tell me it's Epcot-related, you know, I'd love to meet up with you guys down there and uh, go maybe around the, the world with the, the beers of the world, right? I mean, that's uh, – that's a popular attraction for for people of the uh, of the adult age, anyway. So uh, that, that sounds like a good weekend to me, man. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, we got a lot to get into, as you might expect. We're going to talk some football. We're going to talk some basketball. We're going to talk some baseball, some softball. We're going to touch them all, I guess you could say, as we delve into Alabama sports here on a Thursday morning, and Charlie, what we'll do is we'll run down our list of topics basically in question form, and what we'll start with, because it was somewhat seismic here in the last few days, the report that Charles Bediaco would be remaining in the 2023 NBA draft process. Now, the the, the folks that are in that process right now, like a Mark Sears, like a Javon Quinterly, officially, I believe it's May 31st they have until they they either have to stay in or or withdraw from the draft. But Betty Ako apparently staying in. He joins Brandon Miller and Noah Clowney, as we know. Um, so what needs to happen with Betty Ako moving on, Charlie, for Alabama to maintain this place it has achieved under Nate Oates as a player on both the conference and national scenes? Yeah, I think first and foremost, uh, that's a big blow, literally and figuratively. You know, you lose a seven-footer that was really finding his footing last season, late in the year. You know, he was big in the SEC tournament. Um, you know, I think Charles was getting more confident and comfortable out there, and you you could see it. And um, I think I don't think it's just like I don't think Alabama was blindsided by this, but I think they're a little surprised because you know you look at and and mock drafts are nothing close to being the gospel. But, you know, he also wasn't invited to the NBA draft combine. He and Mark Sears were up at that G League uh, elite camp, which is just before the combine. And then there's a handful of guys that get invited to that uh, afterwards based on their performance. And it sounds like Mark Sears and Charles Bediaco did some good things there, but they ultimately didn't get that invitation. So that kind of led you to believe that maybe this is how this thing was trending to him coming back. But you know, with him staying in the draft, you can look to maybe assuming he got a, a promise from a team, maybe in the second round, something like that. And that's enough for some guys just to stick in the draft and, and try to, you know, make it work in the NBA. So best of luck to Charles because he's a good dude. I like covering Charles. 
Um, but it's, it's significant. Alabama now needs a lot of front court help because you lose Bediaco, you lose Noah Clowney, you use, lose Brandon Miller. You know, you have some guys back, especially at the guard position, but, um, you know, a lot's going to be placed on Nick Pringle unless Alabama goes out and gets a big. And, you know, it looks like they've been kind of putting feelers out, I guess, at this point. Um, Adrame Jong from Washington State, who's another seven-footer, big, long kids, kind of raw, but looks really athletic, could be an option. You know, they've, I guess, shown interest in him, so we'll see how that materializes. Uh, Andrew Slater had that on Twitter. But, um, you know, that would be, and this is just hypothetically at this point, with with Nick Pringle and kind of his ascension, um, you've seen him, again, get more confident and comfortable as the season progress. If you put another seven-footer that's athletic like that, that'd be a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, they're maybe not as uh, not that defensive anchor that Bediaco was, but, um, you know, that would be entertaining to say the least. But, yeah, it's a, it's a significant blow um, because you lose an experienced starter, um, a guy that was your enforcer down low as a shot blocker and was getting better. Um, so I, I think, you know, that one, you know, it hurts to lose Brandon Miller. It hurts to lose Noah Clowney. Um, but they've recruited those positions well. But Alabama needs to go out and find a big here late in the transfer portal. Yeah, you're not going to just pull another Betty Ako off the street at this point. And I'm yeah. not saying it's too late in the process because between the portal, even junior college guys maybe, and even some high school guys, it's never too late when it comes to college basketball roster management. But, man, if for nothing else, you're going to have to have some guys for practice. You know, beyond that, you need to have some fouls to give, especially if Pringle struggles to play without fouling. And one of the benefits I thought this past season of the depth that Alabama had there in that front court was that when Pringle came into games, he was able to play without much concern for foul trouble. You know, now you're left to wonder if he might have to tone down the aggression he likes to play with on both ends of the four. And so um, I think something else you take into consideration here, too, is Alabama style of play. And this isn't Mississippi State with everything running through Tulu Smith, who was a big retention for uh, Chris Jans in that program here in the last week or so. Smith returning to Mississippi State for another season. Uh, do you take that into account, too, from a, a standpoint of the impact of Betty Ako's decision that, you know, this is a team, this is a style of play that, you know, it doesn't necessarily, certainly doesn't play with uh, twin towers, I guess you could say, on a lot of occasions. No, it, it doesn't. I mean, NATO likes to, to go small a lot of the time, even though you look at the starting lineup this past year and, and the three guys in the draft are all six, nine or bigger. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Um, you know, I, I think just now Jeff Brazello from ESPN tweeted out that Julian Phillips, the Tennessee transfer, who's not a seven footer, but um, can play in the low post, has heard from Alabama among every other school, it looks like. <laughs> um, and then you, you, you fill out some options, too. I know a, a pipe dream is for Kobe Brown from Missouri. If he were to, you know, come out of the draft and enter the transfer portal, being an Alabama kid, I think that would help. But again, those are just, yep. you know hypothetical Nick Saban is cringing as we we speak about it but it is <laughs> you know it a lot of this would fall onto Nick Pringle's shoulders to be the starter and to really take that next step this year but you know it is a situation where Alabama's 
more often than not playing a true four and five. Um, you know, they like that kind of stretch four. Um, I mean, Noah Clowney's nickname was Stretch coming in here. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But right now, um, you know, they're sitting at 10 scholarships. They have three open spots. So you're not, like you said, you're not going to go find a Bediaco um, off the street, uh, a guy that's going to make that similar impact that has that experience. But um, I think they're going to try to fill out that front court and, and do so in an interesting way. Yeah, regardless, it puts more of an emphasis on the continued development of Pringle. And again, I go back to the defensive end. Uh, as a post defender, I thought we saw last season, he still has a ways to go in that area. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to need to do it with virtually an entirely new staff joining NATOs in Tuscaloosa. So there are a lot of moving pieces to all of this when it comes to the roster. And you know what? I think also the decisions of Mark Sears and Javon Quinterly become even more important, Charlie. And uh, people hear that and say, well, they're guards. You know, what does that have to do with the the post and, and Betty Ako and even Noah Clowney on that end of the four? But I don't think it's a stretch at all to think this next team won't be as advanced defensively without guys like that in the front court. So you're probably going to need all the scoring you can get. And that's something both Sears and Quinterly can not only do, but also they facilitate it for others. So there's some things to even take into account where the guys that are still considering their options are concerned, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I'm still kind of unsure on what Javon Quinterly is going to do. At this point, I'd be kind of surprised if Mark Sears isn't back in Tuscaloosa. Um, You know, like you said, they have less than a week now to – withdraw officially from the draft and um i, I kind of anticipate him doing that here pretty soon so that would that would be big you're right from a scoring standpoint from an experience standpoint from a leadership standpoint um i know he's just in his first year at alabama but going into would be his senior season um you know mark sears would be a big piece to to get back that put them at 11 so that would be two spots left to fill and then you know we'll see what happens with jq but again that leadership that experience that scoring ability i, I think that would be um, you're pretty big. Yeah, I think the Miller departure already means they won't be as good of a passing team in all likelihood. So, you know, usually good passing teams or good shooting teams, or at least they're better shooting teams than they would be otherwise. So uh, some things to consider there too, when you talk about uh, Quinterly and, and Sears and, and what they're considering at this point. Hey, let's talk some Alabama baseball and softball here. Charlie is Alabama baseball coming off a tough one last night, man. It was late night with the Crimson Tide in Hoover. Once again, Alabama looked to be in great shape there in the 11th with a three run lead and their closer coming into the game there uh, in the 11th. But wow, Florida walks off the Crimson Tide with a three run bomb. Still wanted to ask you, which was more improbable a month ago, Alabama baseball likely at least hosting a regional or Alabama softball winning a regional in which Montana Fouts didn't throw a pitch last weekend. I have to go with baseball Um, softball. Just reading that or hearing that, I guess um, is improbable, but then you see kind of the draw Alabama got in the Tuscaloosa regional. It's the, given the circumstances about the best you could ask for. Um, So with everything going around, uh, the Alabama baseball program with Brad Bohannon and the gambling scandal and him being fired. 
um, it, you don't blame the kids for you know the season kind of going down the drain. But they didn't allow that to happen. What they've won nine of their last twelve. You know, they've won. Um, they won their last two SEC series to close out the season. Uh, or no, the last three SEC series to close out the season. And then um, looked to have had top seat Florida beat last night. But um, you know that's a that's a good ball club over there in Gainesville, and, and they were able to squeak it out. So the way that this team has kind of rallied, um, and you know that's in large part Andrew Pinkney's been playing his ass off here late. Mind. Yeah. yeah. Others have too, but you know, Pinkney is obviously the standout. The pitching has been solid. Um, you got to give it to those kids. You know, they've, they have not given up on this season and it's been, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it has. And you're right. Given the dark cloud that was over that baseball program, I got to go with the baseball side of this as well. Now, if we're talking about UA softball moving past the supers without mm-hmm. bouts, Maybe it would be softball. And, hey, got to give Jalen Torrance a ton of credit for stepping forward last weekend. Still, the expectation at Alabama is for Patrick Murphy teams, even if their one is out, their ace is out in the circle, to win two of three against a, a good conference USA team uh, in Middle Tennessee at the the, the regional uh, level of, of, of postseason play. And, obviously, you know, the focus is on Montana Fouts' status for Northwestern this weekend in Tuscaloosa. Regardless, Charlie, his team's going to need more help from the offense than it provided last Sunday. I mean, you scored two runs in two games with or without Fouts this weekend, and a return to Oklahoma City uh, might not be attainable. No, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> last week the the Montana Fouts watch was, was loud. Uh, I think this will be um, – and you, you you can't avoid it. Like it's going to be everywhere on social media, and you know, you see all the the beat writers. They they come out of the woodworks cover baseball and softball this time of year, and you know there's nothing else going on. But it, I, there'll probably be hourly Montana Fouts updates before the the super regional this weekend. Because you know, I, again, like you said, um, hats off to Jayla Torrance because she she was unbelievable this past weekend. But um, you know, facing a, a good Northwestern team with a chance to get to Oklahoma City. Uh, you're going to need your your ace. And, um, you know, I, it was good that she was up and at them, moving around, even throwing some bullpen stuff you know, mm-hmm. this past weekend. So we'll see how that progresses. But, um, yeah, it, it'd be tough to, to imagine Alabama, you know, getting out of this one if they don't wake up offensively without Montana. As for baseball, Charlie, the overriding sentiment is that it has done enough to secure a host spot for regional play as improbable as that seemed again, just a month ago or so, even a couple of weeks ago, but a win today later on this Thursday in Hoover over an Auburn team, really vying for the same sort of status would make it even more of a certainty for the Crimson side where host status is concerned. Something again, just unimaginable. So how uncomfortable or how comfortable do you think Jason Jackson and his team should be with the thought of hosting heading in today's game? I still think pretty comfortable. You never know with these things. Um, those selection committees can zig when they when you thought they would zag. I mean, heck, how many people thought softball would be the number five overall seed? Yeah, so true. Um, I, I think just seeing on social media, and again, this doesn't really carry as much water as a um, or the any water like a, a mock draft, but people are, are really high on this Alabama baseball team and what they've been able to do. And um, I mean, heck if you're the people in Hoover, 
you know, with with what's riding on the postseason to have Alabama and Auburn be able to play in a winner go home game this afternoon, you have to be licking your chops if you're those people. Um, but no, I, I think I, I think they have to feel pretty comfortable. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think they're in good shape. I mean, obviously there are outlets that do this stuff full time that we pay yeah. attention to. And I guess if you were taking a consensus, certainly after the Kentucky win, that they had done enough. And yeah. so uh, I think if you're this this team and, and you're going into this Auburn game, I mean, you win this game, you've won three out of four over Auburn on the season. Really goes back to just the bizarre nature of the twist that this season took for Alabama. Uh, when you consider the lawsuit that was made public and prior to game one of that Auburn series last month. And uh, again, to, to accomplish what this team has to date, you, you trust in the RPI. Uh, I think baseball is a little different than softball. At least the cynic in me does. I'm not saying Alabama might not prove to have been worthy of a five seed uh, on the softball front, but I also know, I also believe, I guess that, you're also trying to promote that sport at the highest possible level you can and Alabama hosting in the regionals and the supers is a great way to do that. You know, if, if you're the NCAA and or uh, the, 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 the television network involved. So, you know, we'll see how it goes, but yeah, I would think Alabama is in a good spot regardless of the outcome against the Auburn Tigers on Thursday afternoon. Hey, let's talk some football, Charlie. And you know, Vegas, as we talked about recently here on the podcast, has Alabama's regular season win total at 10.5 for the 2023 season. Meanwhile, I hear from some folks and some outlets on my timelines and social media that are giving off some 2007 vibes where Nick Saban's 17th team at Alabama is concerned. So, Charlie, um, to what do we exactly attribute this variance in expectations for this next Alabama football team? I think it's just because there's so many unknowns. You, know, you the quarterback positions obviously at the top of the list with you know five quarterbacks on campus. Um, you know Nick Saban talked about the challenges of of dealing with that uh, earlier this week up in in the Stavia Hills, and you know we'll see what happens with that in fall camp, and I think it'll linger into you know the first game of the season with playing multiple guys. Um, but I think it starts there. Um, you know, the offensive line, you know, you leave spring practice with kind of a question mark at left tackle and, you know, that group's been saying all the right things, but you kind of are in a, a wait and see or, you know, kind of prove it mode with them. Um, you have two new coordinators. That's, you know, something new. I think Alabama will benefit from the change on defense, you know, TBD on, on offense. We'll see what Tommy Reese is able to do in his move from Notre Dame to Alabama. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of missing pieces that have been around, whether it's you look at the defensive side of the ball with guys like Will Anderson and Jordan Battle and uh, Henry Toa Toa, the guys on the defensive line, even though those guys were leaders, um, I think Alabama could be a little better off just because of some of the talent that are behind them. It's tough to replace a Will Anderson, but you know, when you add Caleb Downs and, you know, Deontay Lawson, some of the guys um, at the inside linebacker position, all the depth at outside linebacker, they could be better off. But it's, again, you haven't seen it yet. Um, the secondary, there's a lot of new guys that will be back there. Um, you know, Nick Saban's talked about leadership and how that's still a work in progress. It's This team's still a work in progress. And I think all of those question marks and uncertainties lead to a mixed bag of how people feel this season's going to go. But with Saban going into his 17th year, I mean, damn, that's just – 
unbelievable to say. It's crazy to even say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you should expect a lot of the same. Now, Alabama doesn't go undefeated very often um, in the regular season or just in the a full season. It's only happened a couple times. But, you know, with the over-under set at 10.5, it's very easy to see looking at the schedule for Alabama to win 11 games, and that's with all this uncertainty. So if they have the talent. Um, you just kind of have to piece it together, find a quarterback, see how these coordinators do. And more likely than not, you know, this team's going to look like Alabama when it takes the field September 2nd. And, um, you know, they're going to be – you look at the odds there, they're close to the top in terms of making and winning the national championship – so, you know, we'll see. But I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm probably leaving some stuff off just in terms of things that we have questions about going into the season. But I think that leads to that kind of mixed reaction from people. Yeah, it seems like there's always a couple things we have to remind ourselves about when it comes to win totals or point spreads involving Alabama. And that's Vegas still has to put those numbers at a place that will allow for money to come from the other side because, People are have been willing for years now in the Nick Saban era to just what looks like on paper ridiculous numbers in point spread. Uh, in other words, if Alabama opens at ten and a half in the win total, I'm left to to wonder if the real number isn't nine and a half because with the hook involved, Vegas isn't going to set it at nine, ten, or even eleven. There's always going to be that half, you know, mm-hmm. that nine and a half, ten and a half. You know, I think the same for a point spread. You know, it might open at 23 and a half involving Alabama. And you're thinking the real number is maybe more along the lines of 18 and a half. But Vegas has to put that number out there to get money coming the other way. Um, you know, and it's also, as you said, the quarterback situation primarily being up in the air. And not just that, but uh, the ripple effect that that can have on other positions with wide receiver. Uh, you mentioned the offensive line. You outline the defense otherwise Charlie I don't see the drop off I guess roster wide that some seem to see especially for a team that you know isn't probably going to try to play the same way that it has played the last two seasons and I think we know I'm I'm talking about the offense when I when I say that no yeah I mean you look at just the stable of running backs they have and some of the guys they have on the offensive line and again you love to hear what the offensive line is saying if you're an Alabama fan this spring, but you kind of have to wait and see on and, and prove it on the field. But the loaded stable of backs, I think the wide receivers um, have some promise. Talking to some people um, here lately, they were impressed with the entire group with what they've seen. And, um, you know, I think the tight end position's in a, in a better spot than it was a year ago, even after losing Camla too, who – you know, hats off to Camel too for what he was able to do in moving from outside linebacker to tight end to developing into a um, a third round draft pick. But there's more depth there. There's more quality options than just um, a former outside linebacker. Um, so I, I think the offense, yeah, there's there's reason for optimism. Um, there's also reason for caution because you don't know what's going to happen at the quarterback position. But it sounds like there's a, a willingness and a desire to be more balanced and be more physical uh, on that side of the ball. And if they can do that, that takes pressure off the quarterback. They don't need a guy to go out there and be Bryce Young because there aren't many Bryce Youngs on, on this planet. But, um, you know, if, if those guys can progress and, and you'll continue to learn the offense and get comfortable and, and turn the ball over less than they did in the spring uh, or their previous stops, then, yeah, I think this offense can be 
pretty damn good this fall. As we know, Memorial Day weekend, not just a weekend for uh, Charlie and his better half to go sample the the numerous beers at Epcot, <laughs> but also signals the soon coming SEC spring meetings down in Destin, Florida. With that, a lot of talk, Charlie, about the league's football scheduling format for the future. If the anticipated and talked about 3-6 model goes into effect with Oklahoma and Texas coming on board in the SEC, where is Alabama could be looking at Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn as its three permanent opponents. Now, when you consider those three, are those the teams that Alabama should see on an annual basis, in your opinion? And are they the three you think Alabama will see on an annual basis? Again, assuming the 3-6 model were to go into effect. I think it's the three that Alabama will see. Uh, and we saw you know, Nick Saban sat down with, I think it was Ross Dellinger, and you know, all but complained about that because that's a tough draw. It's, I, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a tougher draw uh, in the SEC. Um, I do think that when looking at this, you know, those are probably the, the top three rivals on Alabama's schedule. If you, you know, polled 100 Alabama fans, family feud style, that's that's the number one on the board that would come up. But, you know, I think to kind of make it fair or, you know, some parity out there, I think Auburn and Tennessee makes sense. Those are slam dunks. I don't see how you take that off the schedule uh, in this format. But I, I do think Mississippi State makes a lot of sense because Alabama's played a lot of games against Mississippi State. And, you know, proximity, those two are very close, 90 miles apart. Um, so I, I think that one is what I think it should be. But, you know, I think if you're the SEC and you have a brand like Alabama, um, you know, getting them to play Auburn and Tennessee and LSU every year, uh, you got to be licking your chops about that. So I think that'll, unless the SEC changes its mind, that's what it will be. But I, I think it should be State instead of LSU. Yeah, just in terms of historical impact, I think it should be Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn. And I'm sure ESPN, with the coin it is dropping on SEC <laughs> football in the coming years, would like it to be those three, too. Now, I think you touched on it. Competitive balance comes into play here, too, especially if we're talking about in relation to Georgia, LSU, and another program or two in the SEC. And you know, the layout of the rotational opponents on a yearly basis can also help in that regard when we're talking about competitive balance. You, you can't have Alabama, though, I think, keeping Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn if, say, Georgia is keeping Florida, Auburn, and South Carolina, right? I mean, I, I think if, if you're going to have Georgia, let's use Georgia as an example. If Georgia... Yeah, you expect Georgia to keep Florida and Auburn. I mean, we're already seeing that, um, you know, the, the renewal for the game in Jacksonville has already taken place for like 24 and 25 for the Florida-Georgia game. That's a given. Auburn is certainly a longstanding rival, uh, not only for those two teams, but for the history of the Southeastern Conference. So then you get into who's that third team for Georgia, too, I think. And, you know, if it's South Carolina for Georgia, to me, it's got to be Mississippi State instead of one of LSU, 
or Tennessee. I, I don't see Auburn going away. There's too much money to be made on the Iron Bowl brand. Um, they're not going to let that go away. So to me, it, it would come down to Tennessee or, or LSU. And in even that scenario, I would think Tennessee stays and, um, you know, maybe it's Mississippi State. Um, is that kind of what you're thinking there? No, that that makes total sense. And, you know, you you don't want to just compare two teams, but let's face it, Alabama and Georgia are the top teams in college football. And if Georgia hasn't scheduled very difficult, <laughs> um, especially of late, you know, this season is kind of laughable what they're going to have to go through to get back to Atlanta. But, you know, if you're talking about balance and fairness on these schedules, then, yeah, if, if Georgia pulls South Carolina as their third team, Alabama shouldn't get LSU. It should get a Mississippi State. And, um, you know, and that's not just a random team adding to the schedule. Again, there's there's historical relevance for Alabama and State and how long they've played each other. So um, I just think if that's the route they're going to go in the, in the, I guess, soon-to-be extinct East, um, then it's only fair that it happens to the top team in the soon-to-be extinct West. Yeah, I don't. I, I think that's that's where the immediate focus is going to go when we when we learn these permanent opponents. Assuming it is the three six, is all right. Who did Alabama get, and who did Georgia get? Yeah. That, that's that's immediately where our attention is going to go. And you know, when you talk about the three for Alabama potentially, you know, between Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn, those teams lost a combined thirteen games in twenty twenty two. So. Um, Still, there's little doubt that all three of those programs are trending in a positive uh, direction. When we think about Georgia potentially and, and the teams we've outlined for the Bulldogs, perhaps, you know, despite its success in the past, I can't say the same for Florida right now in relation yeah. to Georgia. I'm actually more optimistic about Auburn's prospects under Hugh Freeze moving forward more so than I am Florida's. And that that's not a knock on Billy Napier as much as it is that fan base that he's trying to serve. It, it might be even more difficult to please than Auburn's and, you know, South Carolina, Shane Beamer's doing a great job in Columbia, but are the Gamecocks a threat to win more than eight games in a season? Uh, so again, I go back to sort of that South Carolina, Mississippi state analogy. When I think about Georgia and Alabama and a potential uh, three permanent uh, opponent scenario that could be out there, uh, for those for those clubs. And, and, and I'll say this, too, um, something I always advise and I've already done it here in this segment, I believe, always keep the money in mind. You know, in today's college football, the money starts with television. Uh, it's not just Alabama that ESPN wants to see in top matchups every week. Uh, you know, the worldwide leader is going to want to see the same with Georgia, with Oklahoma, Texas, LSU and a few others too. Sticking with football, Charlie, let's talk about Alabama's running backs. Um, boy, it is. You you talked, you got on it earlier, just a wealth of talent there in, in that running back room uh, for Rob Gillespie. And uh, when you think about how this could play out from a rotation perspective, uh, which of these backs between Jace McClellan, Royd L. Williams, Justice Haynes, Jam Miller, Richard Young set to join the mix here in the next few days. Which one of these guys do you consider to be right now a shoe-in for, let's say, a top-two spot in the rotation for the upcoming season? I think the easy answer is Jace McClellan. Uh, you look at last year, I know Jameer Gibbs was the top back, but you know Jace had over 100 carries. He finished with 
over 650 yards. Um, you know, he's going to be another year removed from that knee injury. And um, I think he's a guy that Alabama has liked the last several seasons. You know, we saw when um, Brian Robinson was the lead back, how, you know, Jace was really coming to his own as a, as a receiver. And I think that's a big um, element of his game that doesn't get discussed a lot is with Jameer Gibbs moving on. Alabama's going to have to have some kind of weapon in the passing game out of the backfield. And I think Jace McCullen, while, while not on the same level as Jameer Gibbs, he's more than effective uh, at that um, at that spot in that role. So I, I think when we're talking about shoe-ins to be, you know, part of a one-two punch, it would be hard for me to imagine that, that number two is not a part of that. I think Alabama has some backs who offer similar skill sets. And when I say that, I'm thinking about Justice Haynes, Roy Dell Williams, Jam Miller. Those three guys come to mind quickly in that regard. Now, you said it, passing game attributes is where slight separation might occur with even those three. But for me, as is the case for you, McClellan is still a little bit different in the way of being dynamic. He still has that ability to hit the home run. I'm not saying Haynes and Miller you know, can't hit and strike for explosives. When I think about McClellan, though, I think about Texas last season. Now, other than that 80-plus yard touchdown run, uh, it's it's worth noting that he didn't have a, a run of more than 40 yards other than that on those 111 carries uh, in 2022. So he wasn't exactly Jameer Gibbs' equal in big playability a year ago. Relative to this group, though, I think McClellan can provide some needed juice. And in terms of all-around ability, Charlie, I, I really won't be surprised if it ultimately proves to be um, Haynes, who is that guy. I mean, I, re-watching A-Day no fewer than four times in the last month, <laughs> I couldn't be more impressed with Haynes in the aforementioned passing game. I mean, he makes the right reads and pass pro and release concepts, and he's got that willingness to take on not only linebackers in blitz situations or in pass protection, but you know, you'll see him try to pick up a free rushing defensive lineman too. So regardless, I think we're expecting more of a running back centric offense under Tommy Reese, you know, between his work at Notre Dame and enough of what we saw on a day, it's not really a reach to think that will be the case, but you know, play in and play out, the backs will be a threat to touch the football. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I think just that threat of the running back, um, in 2023, that, that should prove really beneficial to a new quarterback and and really the positions around the quarterback. I think so, too. And I, really, when you look at all three of the quarterbacks that are in this battle, they can make plays with their legs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that um, you know, can help them out as well. But you know, as far as the running backs go, it's it's kind of tough to to predict how this rotation will play out, because I think everybody brings something to the table and. You know, it, Jace McClellan seems like the obvious choice is the number one back. Um, Woodell Williams has been used more in short yardage situations. And, you know, with how the offensive line is talking about third and three, you know, being confident and being able to pick up that first down, it, it makes sense that Roy Dell would be uh, the guy in that situation a lot of times trying to get those extra um, tough yards. At that same time, though, we saw Justice Haynes see success inside the 10 in the mm -hmm. end game. So, uh, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I know you're a big fan of him and, and I am too, but Jim Miller, 
seems to have made a lot of progress and, and he's improved from year one to year two. Um, you know, he's a guy that saw playing time in every game, mostly at, um, I don't special teams. When he got in the game late, he runs hard. And, um, I think that's kind of the, the theme for those three guys that you kind of lump together. And I agree with that. And if you're looking for somebody to come on out on top, experience usually prevails, but man, the talent that justice Haynes has, and he's kind of, I think he has a little bit of ways to go to get there, but he's kind of on his way to being a complete back. And if he can add that, um, you know, receiver role to his bag and improve in that, and again, continue to be, you know, solid in pass protection, it's going to be tough to keep him off the field. And I, uh, I thought the, the, the usage of Jace and a day spoke to where he's at in the eyes of the coaching staff too. Right. I mean, he was first guy up, but it wasn't like they, they stressed him, you know, yeah. they really worked him. Uh, most of the work was Roy Dell jam, uh, and with jam working with justice Haynes, I believe on the crimson team, you know, mm-hmm. that split there. And you know, I, there were a lot of good things from, from all of the backs. I thought in, in the eight, day game, I, I thought Roy Dell, in terms of keeping his feet clean and balance. And, you know, he showed you on one catch out of the backfield ability to reverse pivot, make a guy miss. It was Keanu Coat, I believe, in, in coverage, dropping in coverage, but it was still a really nice play from Roy Dell. I, I thought that was improvement from him. Um, I think J.M. Miller's instinctiveness as a runner mm-hmm. is really nearer at the top of that list of running backs. Uh, Justice uh, instinctively is a, a receiver and a pass protector. I mean, you, you like all the elements uh, that you're going to get from this group. So very good situation all the way around. Well, Charlie, uh, we'll let you get started to Epcot, um, you know, going around the world. We can't all be like Tim Watts, right, and literally travel the world. Yeah. But I guess we can some of us can go to Epcot and do it that way, right? Yeah, that's what I'm having to settle for. I'll send out in, in Italy and stuff. I'm going to have to go to the Italy Pavilion and get, you know. <laughs> get some Sabaro. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, so uh, Al, I, I told you what I'm doing. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, man, it's going to be pretty chill. You know, it's a lot of I'm at that age with nieces and kids where it's graduation series oh, yeah. our graduation season. We were just out west for one of ours and. Um, and then we've got some some other family this weekend. So a lot of graduation season stuff right now. It's a lot of fun, but it's good to be home this weekend, too. Just going to be chilling. Uh, nothing too crazy, but I do look and we will expect a report from the uh, the Epcot visit and yeah. uh, the consumption, uh, the the golden liquid uh, yeah. we'll want to know about as well. But I'll, uh, uh, I'll try to expense that receipt from. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just send that <laughs> on. To Tim. Yeah. You know, just email that text that to Tim <laughs> in Italy. That'll that would that would make him feel good about his trip. But um, all seriousness, a lot of fun, as always. A lot of good stuff with Charlie Potter. We've been deep in the positional stuff, both Charlie and myself. You can find all of that at BamaOnline.com. Some big, big news on the horizon as it relates to BamaOnline.com. And also, um, just this football team coming together. You know, we talked about it before. June 1st has become really the start of the calendar football year, football calendar year, because whereas Alabama did have most of its 2023 recruiting class on hand for spring drill, still some 
some mighty big names set to join the Crimson Tide in the coming days. So uh, look forward to that as well. Charlie, have a safe trip, my man. We'll talk to you again soon. Will do, man. Always good to catch up. Always good with Charlie Potter. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, by the way, the FAMA online podcast, we hope you will consider doing so. Simple as a click or two. If you'd leave us a rating and a review, that would help us with the old uh, Google or whatever it is. That would that would be great. That would help us out, and we would appreciate that tremendously. For Charlie Potter, Travis Schreier, hoping you have a safe and enjoyous holiday weekend. Until next time, song everybody. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.